Right, before we begin then. Let us all take a moment to remind ourselves how extremely fortunate we are to be here, to be students of the great master, to be able to listen to his teaching. to follow the path and to free ourselves from suffering once and for all. As we bring our palms together to make veneration the noble one, the perfect one, the unparalleled one, he who is the fount of wisdom, compassion and loving kindness, Let us also remind ourselves that this is an opportunity for us to renew our pledge, our oath, our promise to ourselves, to remind ourselves of our purpose of being here. This is a journey that we must bring to an end. So with all that in mind, let us all take a moment to pay homage to the supremely enlightened, fully awakened, Samma Sambuddha. <coughs> Namo tasa bhagavato arhato Samma Sambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato arhato Samma Sambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato arhato samma sambuddhasa The advent of a sambuddhasasana is the rarest thing ever. There is nothing more rare than that. There's nothing more scarce than that. There's nothing more far and few, few between than that. Nothing more uncommon. Nothing more irregular. Just the sheer coincidence of us having come across one is just unimaginable. If you take a moment to look around you, wherever you might be, here, at home, watching this, Every atom in this universe is the result of a wrong answer to a problem. If you take this room for instance, 
from the grains of sand that touch your feet to whatever has gone on to make in that Buddha statue be that clay, cement, plaster, what it might, whatever it might be all of it is the product of seeking the wrong answer to a problem because one fine day someone said what did the Buddha look like? tell me what did the Buddha look like? what did the Buddha look like? what did the Buddha look like? they were vexed so to free themselves from vexation they had to build the statue that is why that is how the statue has come into being because if you've truly understood the real solution to the problem you don't need a buddha statue if you trace back the origins of every single atom in this universe it is a product of seeking the wrong answer to a problem so really no matter where you look everywhere you can everywhere everything you can look at everything you can see is things gone wrong from the sun to the moon the stars and the planets right down to whatever you have at home yourselves your bodies every strand of hair on your head every cell in your body this is all the wrong answer to a problem your bodies you understand as the mind wanted to perceive sight it had to bring with it a mechanism to do that so this is the price that you are having to pay for seeking the wrong answer to a problem can you see the price I am having to pay? this is the price I am having to pay seeking the wrong answer the problem the price we are having to pay the lights you need lights because you want to see you need the sound system because you want to hear you want to you need food because you have to eat you've got to every lungful you take in of what we might like to think fresh air perhaps out on the mountain tops where people go for a breath of fresh air little do they think about the fact that this is just things gone wrong that they go there for fun to relax to entertain themselves whereas you on the other hand 
we need to perceive things differently we need to take things as they are because otherwise what happens is we begin to feel that this is a nice place to be it's fun it's, it's, it's jolly good being human as long as we don't have the problems we have to deal with day to day as long as the ends meet and there's a meal on the dinner table and there are people for me to share my problems with then things are fine just fine this is the mindset that people have gotten themselves into you know ask someone how you doing and they'll say so so not so bad we're doing pretty good and you ask him why do you think so well i've got everything i need i've got a nice house i've got a little family going there's my husband or my wife we've got three lovely children hmm? and they're, they're very obedient they're very kind and gentle and very good to their parents they study at school they're very studious and then i have my parents my in-laws they're also very they're unusually kind i have my friends who are always there to watch out for me and if ever i'm in need of help they'll always be there just a phone call away there's money in the bank and whenever i need it it's there so i've got plenty i've got a place to live there's a roof above my head and i live a comfortable life so things are not so bad and then they say that is the positive attitude to life whereas if you ask the same man when he is in a spot of bother perhaps when something's bothering him perhaps he's just not had a good day at work perhaps he's not got the promotion that he wanted he was so looking forward to it or maybe the pay rise that his boss promised him but it just hasn't come through because the funds have not been approved yet from the head office or perhaps he's lent something precious to someone and they're taking their merry time to return it and he's been asking for it and they're now beginning to ignore him or maybe his in-laws are giving him a tough time actually they don't usually give him a tough time they usually give her a tough time right so maybe it's that or maybe the children are not so obedient maybe they're a bit mischievous perhaps they've started to do things that you can't keep a straight face and talk to your friends about they used to be the honor of the family but now any mention of them brings you dishonor so they don't talk about their children perhaps if they're in a problem of that sort then now if you ask them how's life just one problem is enough to change everything upside down just one problem 
One problem. Just think about it for a second. You know, aren't there times when people come and remind you when you have a problem? Okay? When you have a problem, aren't there times when people come and remind you, yes, 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 we know you have that problem, but think about, think about all the other things that you have that other people don't have. Don't they tell you that? Yes, I know, this is a problem, but think about everything else you have that most people don't have. They'd bite their right arm off for it, but just think about what you have. Take a more positive attitude. Look at life positively. Take a positive approach. Be grateful for what you have. Why do you just always focus on what you don't have? You've heard that? Yes, because I've said that. See how little is enough to completely take away our sense of gratitude, our sense of feeling blessed and have what we want or having what we want. Just something, just something very little is enough. Sometimes they call them bad hair days. When, you know, sometimes you just, you just had a, your, your car's broken down. You had an appointment, you had to get to work on time, but your car's broken down. That one thing is enough to completely ruin your day. Maybe you're, it's the morning, you're cooking, preparing lunch, and you try to turn the knob and the gas doesn't come on. You run out of gas. That one event is enough to turn your day upside down. You know, in these moments, you need to see a bigger truth than that specific problem. As Buddhists, if that's what we like to call ourselves, we need to see a bigger problem than the problem at hand. Because there's a problem at heart. When things are going to plan, when things are going fine, when you don't have a big problem, then you'll say life is going fine. And people like to talk about that. You know, that's when they organize a party, when things are going to plan. Have you ever organized a party when you're, when you're <laughs> not you, I'm sure it probably hasn't happened to you, right, the daughter runs away with some bloke. Right? If you had a party arranged for that time, what do you normally do? Carry on? What do you do? You call it off, right? See, one event is enough to completely change your life, topple your life upside down. One event is enough. Sometimes all it takes is the washing machine to stop working. That's enough. Then you get into work, right? and everyone's an enemy today. And what's the problem? The washing machine stopped working. Now everyone you see at work, everyone you bump into, you, you feel they, they've, got, they bring, they've got a problem with you. No, you're the one who's got a problem with them. Because that one event is enough. I'm trying to show you the value of a Buddha Sasana. Because the Buddha Sasana is not here to solve the problem at hand. That is why most people are not, they don't take refuge in the Buddha Sasana. Because they don't see that the Buddha Sasana offers a solution to the problem at hand. But if you go to the bank down the street, they give you a problem, they give you a solution to the problem at hand. 
Honestly, in this day and age, ladies and gentlemen, who do you think a man in his middle age pays more reverence to, has more respect to, the Buddha or the bank manager? You are an unusual species. I'm not talking about you. Because we chopped that tail off. And we unscrewed the horns. The same treatment that I had. You're having or you've had. Perhaps you're still having. <laughs> Don't know. But just think about it. You know, a man, typical, in his, say, late 20s, early 30s, going 40s, right? Who do you think he has, he's had more conversations with? The Buddha or the monk at the temple? Or the bank manager? The bank manager. The monk or the lawyer? The lawyer. Because they have uh, an answer to the problem at hand. The Buddhasasana offers nothing. What does the Buddhasasana offer? The Buddhasasana doesn't offer, doesn't offer anything. You're the one who has to make every offering to the Buddhasasana. Does it not seem so? The Buddhasasana offers us nothing. But we have to offer to the Buddhasasana. So the Buddhasasana is like a parasite. Now you say, no, Swami Nathan, no, no, it's not like that. But just take yourselves back a few years, maybe. Maybe 15 years, 20 years, if you remember that far back. Or perhaps before, the, before you met the Dhamma. I've had people I've spoken with and who, who's, who've said and who've quite honestly shared with me. Swami Nathan, you know, those days, there were people I used to avoid like the plague. Who, sir? I asked them. And they say, a police officer and a monk. When I see them, I run a mile. One you have to bribe. The other, they won't give up until they've taken everything they can from you. I've had people say this to me. Not at me, but they've said it to me. So, it is quite common, I think, for this day and age. That's why I said, you know, you guys are unusual. You're not common. It is quite usual in this day and age for people to feel that the Buddha Sasana offers them nothing, but we have to make offerings to the Buddha Sasana. Every poor day, perhaps, right? You have to go to the temple and try and catch up on your sleep. And then you have to offer something, right? If a Swami Nuhase comes to the Pansakula, you have to offer something. You always have to offer something. You don't get anything for free with the Buddha Sasana. You have to always offer something. You have to offer the Atapirikari. You have to offer the Dolos Pirikari. You have to offer the arms. You have to offer 
We're always offering, 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 offering. We don't get anything back in return. What is this, a black hole? People feel that way. As I said, like a parasite. All it does is take. And instead, it might leave you a disease. So this is how people have come to see the Buddha Sasana, because they haven't seen the Buddha Sasana. And because they look to the Sasana for answers to the problem at hand. I need to give my daughter's hand in marriage. What can the monk do? Find her a good husband? They do try. I mean, not the monk, but the parents do try. Sometimes you find. You know, they never, they never, never come here. <laughs> I don't think... I don't think they can ever come here, but people do try. They go to the temple and as they talk to the Swaminasa, the Swaminasa talking about the impermanent nature of life, and then, you know, this young poor mother, poor mother, what can you do? She's got a problem. She's got an aching problem, so she laughs. Swaminasa, any young boys coming this way? These days, any youth in the village who are still available? Any any good good boys who come to the temple to observe seal? Hmm? Because if you come to the temple, then you must be, you must be good. So the mother doesn't go to the uh, what do you call it the, the tavern, right, and look for a, look for a boy for her daughter to get married to. She comes to the temple. For that, she doesn't go to the to the bank manager. That she comes to the temple. Because for my daughter, who do I want? A good man. A good man. A kind man. I just want the man for the daughter. I don't want how he became kind. That I don't want. I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in how he became kind and nice and gentle and soft-hearted. But what I want is the man who has become that so I can give my daughter's hand to him in marriage, and then brush my hands off. Never heard of this? Are these alien stories to you? Do you think this is fiction? No, this is fact. Because the Buddha Sasana doesn't offer, it doesn't offer solutions to the problem at hand. You know, if you're poor, right? If you can imagine someone who is poor and they they're struggling to say pay their bills, right? Or maybe they're going through a hard time. Not generally poor, but they're going through a hard time financially. You know, they're going through a hard time. You can't go to the temple and ask because the temple is where you go to give. But you can always try a good friend, or maybe someone who is, oh, the bank manager. Yes. Always there. So trustworthy. If you go to the bank manager, chances are, you'll walk away with an answer to your problem. See, he's a savior. By the way, I've got nothing against bank managers, because I used to be one myself, so... 
I think that gives me the liberty to, to talk freely about bank managers. They're not bad people. They're just doing their job. But what I'm trying to show you, ladies and gentlemen, is why people feel that the Buddha Sasana offers them nothing. You will see people like this. And you need to have sympathy and empathy towards them. But this is why this is why people people don't come to the Buddha Sasana because they don't know what the Buddha Sasana offers. All they know is what the Buddha Sasana takes away from them. So if they want to loan some money because they have a bill to pay or a debt collector knocking on their door, no point going to the Swami answer. No point doing that. If they need to borrow a car because they have to perhaps go somewhere or you know maybe borrow a bike to go to run an errand, no point going to the Buddha Sasana. Amro doesn't have a bike. But you can go to rent a car. There they give you an answer to the problem at hand. So you see, coming to the Buddha Sasana, we get nothing. But you lose it all, don't you? You know, technically speaking, whenever you came to the Buddha Sasana, did you walk away richer or poorer? Technically speaking. Hmm? If you walk into the if you walk into the bank with no money in your pockets, how do you walk out? With money in your pockets. If you walk into the temple with money in your pockets, how do you walk out? Hmm? I, I, I say temple, you, know, you can say church, mosque, whatever, right? If you walk in there, how do you walk out? With less money. See? It's a pretty bad deal. So the Buddha Sasana doesn't give us anything. All it does is take. But, you know, as good citizens, we have to do what we have to do for the Sasana, right? I'm a Buddhist, so, hey, it's my duty. I have to feed those yellow-robed people. What can I do? I have to provide for them. As if it wasn't enough, me providing for my own family. Now I have to provide for them also. For them also. Because the Buddha Sasana just take things from me. They, it doesn't give me back anything. What has it given me? Nothing. And, you know, my brand new car, I, I, I bought it, and if I'm, you know, driving up somewhere, and then if I see a Swami Nuhansi on the road, what should I do? This is the brand new car. What should I do? I should stop. I should pull over. And I should open the door and ask him to get in. He doesn't even wear slippers. See? All that, that muddy feet now on the carpet. Now I have to go and wash this damn thing. See? Brand new car. And just look at him. Old robes. At least can't he dress smartly? Hmm? 
get himself some new robes and just, you know, be fresh. Slick carry. Again, the Buddha Sasana has taken things from me, not giving me anything back. So people begin to feel that the Buddha Sasana is a drain on, 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 on everything they have, everything they own. And worst thing of all, right, sometimes if you have just the one child, right, maybe he's a young boy, you have all your hopes on him. Then when you <laughs> you go into the temple, the Swami announces he's the boy. Next, what do you do? <laughs> he says, he looks like a good boy. How about you keep him here? So now, first they took my money. Hmm? Then they took my food. Hmm? Now they also want my, my child. The Buddha says, is just taking things from me. I'm getting nothing back in return. So, if you see a monk, run a mile. Are you different to that? Have you understood the Buddha Sasana? Do you know what the Buddha Sasana is? Have you seen the Buddha Sasana? Or can you relate to those sentiments and do you feel the same way? Some people, they know, they don't dress up properly when they come to the temple. I mean, they'll dress, dress de- decently, but they won't dress up, like, actually dress up. They'll leave, take off all their jewelry. They'll leave it all at home, not out of reverence. But they get this feeling that if the Swami Nasi sees all this, you know, me dressed up and glamorous, he might think I've got a lot. Then he might start asking me some questions which I find very <laughs> uncomfortable answering. So I'd better dress down. You know, like you have dressed down Fridays at work. So they dress down. Buddha Sasana. Fearful of the Buddha Sasana. The Buddha Sasana is synonymous with losing it all. Hmm? The Buddha Sasana is, is synonymous with, you know, where I lost, where I lost it all. I was a man before I went in there. I went in when I went into the Buddha Sasana. As I walked into the temple, I walked back a broken man. Now I've got nothing. And sometimes, you know, if it's like a young monk, they'll even leave their wife at home. They're worried. Because they don't understand the Buddha Sasana. They leave their wife at home, maybe leave their daughter at home. Because they think the Buddha Sasana is here to take everything from them. And then they say the Buddha Sasana is very rare. Must be. There can't be anything more rare than that because I've never seen anything that takes everything that I, that I have. So they are more they feel they feel more connected to us like I said the bank manager. Because the bank manager, you know, he gives. 
Okay, of course, you know, you come to an agreement, right? I give you this, you give me that, but at least, you know, in my time of trouble, when things are going rough, the bank manager, he gave me, he helped me. You know, actually, I know people who, when it comes to New Year's Day, they won't go to the temple with anything, but they'll go to see their bank manager with the uh, cavili pevili, a plate of sweets, because he was he who helped me when I was in when I was in trouble. The bank manager. Let's not go to the temple, because if I go to the temple, I haven't been there in a year or so. The Saminas is going to ask me, Ah, why don't you come this way? Oh, no, not again. And then, alright, I see what is coming at. Right? Next thing he'll know, yeah, we haven't even seen you for an almsgiving lately. Ah, yes. All double meaning. <laughs> well, this, is, this is an invitation for what? Hmm? Give some arms. <laughs> Such a subtle way of saying it. <laughs> I haven't even seen you for an almsgiving. They, they're worried. Because they believe that an almsgiving is where the Sambhadasasana takes from them. An offering is a, is a Sambhadasasana taking from them. That is how people see. Because people live in this mindset of there has to be return for investment and that return has to be immediate. It's an immediate world we live in. Right? We need to see results immediately. We need to see results instantly. Instant gratification is what people are after. You know, when you go to the bank, right, when you apply for a loan, they'll tell you, your loan will be approved in two weeks' time. Please check your account and the funds will be in it. When you go to the temple, and you give some arms. The Zaminase says, right, you have all worked so hard, right, and righteously earned whatever you have earned, and woken up early in the morning and prepared this meal and offered it to the Buddha Pramukha Mahasangha, right, for which you shall be wholesomely rewarded. And then this devotee asks, yes, when? Give me a date. When? Uh, write it down on this piece of paper. Piece of paper. We need an agreement. Come on. When? So the Swami Nasi says, well, it could be in this birth, it could be in the next. Sounds like a foul deal, doesn't it? I don't believe in next birth anyway. So I've just put my hard-earned money into a bottomless pit. You look into it, you can't even see the end of it, the bottom of it, so there's no hope of this ever coming back. I had ten thousand rupees in the bank before I walked into the bank, into the into the into the uh, temple, and now I'm ten thousand rupees poorer. That's all that happened. And the Swami Nasi said, because you know, most of the time just think about it. I've seen people who do this, right? Where they think an almsgiving is all about this. They think an almsgiving is you prepare the food, if you like, sometimes you can just take it from a takeaway. And you order the food, 
and you can actually ask them to deliver it to the temple. I've got nothing against this, I'm just saying. Okay? So you can place your order and they deliver it to the temple. You just have to arrive at the temple at the, at the right time. And you don't even have to arrive it to lay it out. They'll come and lay it all out for you as well. I think they will even serve it to the Swaminarayan says, this is all the delivery people. You just have to be there for Yatavari Vahapura. For the merit transfer. The rest, you can, you can pay. Money is so versatile, listen, you can, you can absolutely pay for anything. So, so they, they, they do that and they don't get involved in making, preparing the meal, taking it to the temple, they don't get involved in offering it to the monks, they don't get involved in washing their hands or offering them a, some water or cleaning the arms bowl, nothing of that sort. And sometimes even if they do take, now I've seen this, tell me if you haven't, they'll take the arms to the, to the temple, right? And then, usually this is done by the, the males, hmm? the so-called males. They'll take the food, they'll drive the, the, the family to the temple, and then where will they be? Out. They'll be outside, chatting with their own kind, and the women will go in, and they will offer the arms, food, and they have to, you know, the Sangha Satukiriyam and all that, they do that. And so the men are stood outside and they're talking with each other, see. What to do, man? The wife wants to give arms. What to do? Had to come in. I had to work, I had, I had, an, I had an office appointment this morning as well. I couldn't go for that also. Nice deal. Huh? I could have made uh, a fair amount of money, but what to do? The wife wants to do this stupid thing. Every six months she brings me here. Just you wait. You know, when she comes out, she'll say, I want to offer this, I want to offer that. I won't be surprised if she's keep offered her earrings also. <laughs> Just wait and see until she walks out. Just you wait and see. She'll come and ask me, uh, can, we, can, we make, can we offer Atapirika? She'll come and ask me. You know, we offered a full meal. Three course. Hmm? We even had to go and buy cashews. Those things don't come cheap these days. And you know what? They're not even vegetarian. So-called holy. They're not even vegetarian. I could have made some money this weekend, but the wife... She wants to come and she brings the children also. They have to miss science class. Now, see, they have to catch up. Now we have to do extra tuition for them. Silliness. So, of course, you know, they've come to the temple to give something. So, at the end of that conversation, at the end of the day, they've not gained anything. Yes. So, it's quite fair for them to say the Buddha Sasana is just a drain. Because all they've seen is the giving. They've not seen the receiving. Oh, but they do. They will come back for the Piritnur. What is a monk there for? To tie a thread around your, around your wrist, right? Most people, that is the only dealing they've had with a monk. I think in this day and age, it's becoming more and more common that what 
a monk is there for is to tie a tie a, no, a tie a thread a pity thread around your wrist. That's what a monk is there for. And when someone in the family passes away, to come and sort out the dead, because we don't know how to deal with the dead. I mean, we don't know how to deal with the, deal with the living, let alone the dead. So especially when they're dead, when they're especially dead, right? You got to you got to have the monk to come because you know that's spooky stuff. You don't want to you don't want to get on the wrong side of the dead guys. Because what if the mother doesn't leave? Now that she's dead. So you got to do it properly. Yeah? That part you got to do properly. <laughs> it's a foul deal. Because even when they come to what transfer merits and you know sort out the dead, I still have to give them something. I still have to give at least one of these wrapped up in brown paper. But still you have to give. I mean, while she was alive, all she did was give. The poor mother. Now she's dead. We still have to give. When do we get? I don't, you know, these puzzled faces I see in the audience, I think you don't associate these kind of people anymore. That's why these stories seem somehow quite weird. Go back. Go walk back in time. Walk back in time. Perhaps you remember people like that. Perhaps you remember yourself like that. If you've changed today, folks, that's because the Buddha Sasana has happened within you. Today you see that the Buddha Sasana is the place where You don't have to give anything. And you get everything. Do you recall we talked about giving up and giving to? Was it here we talked about it? Or was it on a Sunday? I can't recall. When you give to, there has to be a receiving party. When you give up, you don't have to have a receiving party. Just give up. When you give up, it matters not who comes and takes it. You've given up. If you give two, it matters who takes it, because you give to someone. The Buddha Sasana is where you come and give up, not give to. Because what does the Buddha Sasana teach you? What have you learned now, by now? You've learned that there are there is no receiving party. Yeah? You've learned that there is no giving party. So if there's no one to give and there's no one to receive, the only thing that's happened is the giving. Hmm? There's no one to give to. Remember, we talked about the mother and the and the son and so on last week. What becoming an arahant is all about, whether it is the severance of attachment or the freedom or the the freeing the mind of the perception that there is someone to sever your attachment to, and the difference between the two. Then, who do you give to? You don't give to anything or anyone. You give up. That only happens in the Buddha Sasana. But only when you realize what the Buddha Sasana is, can this begin to happen in your mind. That is why people who have not seen the Buddha Sasana, they'll talk about all the things that they had to give to the Buddha Sasana. 
So by Buddha Sasana they'll refer to the monks at the temple or the nuns at the temple or the Upasakas and Upasikas like yourselves. Perhaps there are people who come in, you know, maybe the first time they walk in here, they come and see you with your arms, balls, going on arms. You do that, don't you? After the Swami says, have done so. Right? And then these people also we have to feed now. <laughs> Perhaps there are those who look at, look at you like that. Now we have to feed these people also. As if it wasn't enough. But they never say that about the bank manager. Never say that about the bank manager. They don't say that about the uh, the people who have to, you know, who you have to go to get something done. They, they, they don't say that about them because they are the people who you have to keep in, you know, in in, in, in good in good stead. Keep them in good stead. You know, keep a good connection with them. Just think about it, you know, before you actually learned the Dhamma and began, you know, this life transformation that began to happen within your lives, who were your contacts? Just think for, about it for a second. Who were your contacts? Who were the people that you thought were important people to know? Important people to have in your social circle, in your, in your network? Hmm? Just think about it for a second. They would have been powerful individuals, people of authority. Right? People who can get things done. Hmm? You would have gone after them. You would have shown them hospitality if ever you had the chance to do so. You would have maintained a good connectionship. Uh, connectionship? What's that? What sort of ship is that? A good relationship with them? A good connection with them? Hmm? Maybe every, every new year you send them a bouquet of flowers, maybe a cake, uh, maybe, uh, what do you call them, a hamper. Hmm? Take a walk down memory lane. See if these things don't ring a bell. <laughs> you need to have a good doctor. You know, a good doctor. You need to have on your contact list. A good doctor. So you can ring them and get some advice. When you're not feeling too well, you need a good doctor. You need a good lawyer. These are the good, good these are the people you need to have in your contacts list. Huh? A good doctor, then a good lawyer. Because when you get up to no good, they need to save your yes, that. So you need a good lawyer. <coughs> you need a good banker. You need to know someone who has, who, has, who has money, who is wealthy. You need to know someone. Maybe not just the banker, because the banker does a job. But if you have someone who has, then you need to keep him sweet. Right? You've got to sweet talk him. From time to time, send him, send him something. I say him, her, you know, whichever. So this is regardless of gender. You've got to, you've got to sweet talk him. You gotta invite them round for a for for lunch from time to time. Maybe then maybe take them out for lunch. Maybe at least for a coffee. You gotta keep them sweet. Because these are the connections. These are the connections through which you receive answers to the problems at hand. 
So much so that you might have even defined yourself, described yourself through the connections that you had in your lives. There might have been a time in your life where you were like that. You know, I'm a well-connected person. You know, it is, it is, this is one of the ways in which people describe someone. He's well-connected. She's well-connected. She's got a good network. Meaning, there are ways and means through which there's always quick, prompt access to solutions or answers to the problems at hand. Oh, you need a good cutter, yeah? Let's not forget that. What's the name for the cutter, yeah? Yeah, we have the gentleman here. Cutter. Huh? Ah, exorcist. Yes. So you need one of them. So that, you know, when you have to deal with evil spirits, when you when someone in the family is possessed, when the dead grandmother starts speaking through your wife's mouth and you thought, you know, good riddance of her but now she's come back again <laughs> when the wife was bad enough <laughs> and now it's double trouble two in one <laughs> so split personality, sometimes she's the wife other time she is the dead, <laughs> dead grandmother. Imagine dealing with that. So you need a good exorcist. Now these are the people you needed to have in your contact list, in your favorites. So they were quickly, readily available. So you know you have to keep them smooth, sweet. Keep them sweet. You have to give them a little bit of something from time to time. Do you all know what a something is? Not like something, right? This is not a something. This is an uh, this is an euphemism. Something is an euphemism for. Yeah, you know what? I've been there, done that. Eh? <laughs> we know the drill, Swami. we know the drill. Thanks to the Buddha Sasana today, we are free. But we know the drill. See, because those are the people from whom you can get. Whereas the Buddha Sasana is where you have to go and give. What do you get from the Buddha Sasana? Especially if it's a monk, you know, who's a... Say, he lives almost like the life of a hermit. He doesn't go on arms. Or, you know, he doesn't come to the Pansapula. He doesn't come to the wedding. He doesn't come to the birthday party. He doesn't come and do the blessing. He doesn't come and, you know, what do you call it, cut that... Lime on your car. He doesn't do any of that stuff. They, they don't go blessing people or doing. He's just you know in this cave or maybe in a forest somewhere, just meditating. Once in a while, you'll see him going on an arms round with his arms full. If you ask him questions, he doesn't even answer. He doesn't come to your. He doesn't come to your sermons. He doesn't take invitations. You know, he's just he's just there. You have to feed the bugger. That's what you have to do. Because as a Buddhist, it's our duty, isn't it? What to do? People have come to see the Buddha Sasana in that light. I'm afraid this is the curse that has struck us. It is. You know, there are... Now when we... <coughs> when we uh, 
when we want to do various initiatives at the monastery, you know, like the Noble Hearts and the school that we are planning on setting up and the drug rehabilitation center we are planning on doing in, in, in the near future, right? we, we look for people who are like-minded and who would like to support programs of this nature. And what we have come to learn in our experience is there are those who will give to anyone, but just not to the Buddhasasana. They'll give to anyone. There are people who will say, I'll give to a beggar, not to a monk. I'll give to a beggar, but not to a monk. Because a beggar, if you give them, they'll at least say thank you. They'll give a smile, and at least they'll put, bring their hands together and say, Mahatya Buduheva. Hmm? Thank you, sir, for offering this. You are such a great man. They'll sing praises about what you've done. What little you give. Maybe a few hundred rupees. And they're ever so grateful. But a Swami Nuhasa, you give, you offer you know, some rice into his arms bowl. He doesn't even look at you in the face. He doesn't even look at you in the face. Haven't you seen that when we come there? We don't, no, they don't look at you in the face, do they? They open the arms bowl and put it, you know, present it to you, like as if you know they have this some some sort of sense of entitlement. Right? We have to, we have to, you need to. <laughs> so you offer the arms, the food. They close the arms bowl and they walk. No, thank you. No, how very kind of you. And even if they said, right, okay, now you've given the arms, let's do a merit transfer. Show me the merits. When am I going to get this? Next birth, next birth. <laughs> next birth. What next birth, man? <laughs> So the Buddha Sahasana is not a place where you come to take. It's a place you come to give. That's the thing. But even a poor man, a beggar, you know, he'll come knocking on your door. Sir, please, can I? Do you have any leftovers, sir, please? Yeah, yeah, just go back to the kitchen. There's, there'll be some food. May you attain enlightenment. So this man feels that he's now going to attain enlightenment. He has been blessed by a beggar to attain a state of Sama Sambuddha. He feels delighted and honored. Whereas offering to a monk, he says what? Not a word. So is it not better then to give to a beggar than it is to give to a monk? People have not seen the Buddha Sasana. So they think the Buddha Sasana also we have to give to. The Buddha Sasana also we have to give to. Because people are sick and tired of giving to. They are. Because whenever you have to give to, ladies and gentlemen, you know, you have to part with your with whatever you belongs to you, right? When you have to give to, you have to part with it. So this is where this is the this is the thinking. 
I'm, 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 I'm breaking it down for you so that you understand how this works. Why people have this reluctance? Why people have this adversity, this, this animosity? The, 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 why, don't, why they don't feel about the Buddha Sasana in the way that you and I feel today? You will see people like this, and I urge you to empathize with them. Be creative, be imaginative, hold their hand and say, No, mister, you don't have to offer a penny, let me do the offering, you just come along. Because when they feel that they have to part with something that is precious to them, and instead they get nothing, or maybe just the promise, an IOU for next birth, they're not interested. And also they feel that the Buddha Sasan is in debt to them. The Buddha Sasan is indebted. Hmm? Because you know that isn't that why when someone makes an offering they expect their name to be written on a plaque and put up somewhere. Hmm? I'm going to the temple today, I have let's see if I can I can I can promote my services, my company, myself. So I'm in answer. Would you like a bench or something, maybe a water filter? Or maybe you might like, uh, I don't know, a pagoda. A pagoda. <laughs> pagoda. <laughs> Whatever you might like. Hmm? Yes, I'll give it, but you must put my name on there. So, again, they are giving two, aren't they? That's why here you don't see any names. You might, you know, this chair, these chairs might have been offered by someone amongst yourselves. Perhaps this, perhaps this, perhaps this. If I have to put your name down on everything you offer them, even this robe will have to have your name on it. So instead of keeping the cup bindu to identify our robes, distinguish them from each other's, we'll have to put Siripal Upasakamahatya. Even even on the robe. You've seen our arms, both they have a number. You've seen that, haven't you? That is how we identify our arms. Both. You can imagine, 120 arms bowls. When we take an arms bowl, we have to make an adhisthana. This is the arms bowl that I shall use until it dies or until I die. Whichever happens first. So, once you make that adhisthana, that is the arms bowl you have to use. We can't, you know, it's not like at home where you just go and pick a uh, you know, a plate from the from the from the rake, uh, the plate rack. You can't do that here. If it's your arms bowl, you have to have your meal in your arms bowl. That is not to say you're attached to your arms bowl. That is a code of discipline to teach you a sense of responsibility, to teach you a sense of contentment, right, and and simplicity. They try and get used to a life of using few things of frugality. That is, that is what we learn. It's all part of the discipline, all part of the teaching. But remember at home, you know, when you want to eat, you just go, you take a plate, whichever plate, doesn't matter. When you want to drink, you take a cup, take a glass, doesn't matter which one. Because there's plenty. You know, you have your pick. Here you don't have your pick. They pick it for you. The robes are picked for you. The arms bowl is picked for you. So you don't have a choice. You can't take the one with the silver lining. You can't, you can't go for that. You know, one of those days, uh, recently, a lady came and asked me, Sir, I've seen your arms bowl. You know, it's, the, the plaster has come off. Please make me allow, 
please allow me to offer you an arms bow and you must use it from there on. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> I must use it. So I said, please go and speak to the Buddha. <laughs> well, I, I didn't say that. I said, Madam, you can make your offering as you choose to, but I have to get my teacher's permission before I can change my arms bow because the arms bow that I have right now, it, it, it's just fine. And there's nothing wrong with it. It's just the, the plaster has come off. You have to just take it and, you know, and, and do it up again. That's all. It's the wax that's come off. There's nothing wrong with it. The, the paint is chip, chipped off, right? So there's nothing wrong with it. There's a, there's a small dent on it. Perhaps you might have seen that. And she said, I have, you are using new arms <laughs> Because she's giving two. You know, we need to get out of this mindset of giving two. Because when we give two folks, you know, it's, we don't get Nibbana back. That's the, that's the, that's the, that's the downside of that deal. You don't get Nibbana back when you give two. Usually when you give two, you get what you, what you've given. When you give up, you get Nibbana. Because when you give two, you're giving something to someone that the whatever you give to, or whoever you give to, and the thing you give, they both exist in your world. So you're giving something that exists. So you can't get back non-existence. What you'll get back is an existence. <coughs> That's why we need to try to get into this mindset of giving up. When you salute, you salute too, right? At least people think they do. It is the uniform that deserves a salute. Now I don't know whether you know people generally are saluted when they're not in uniform. I, I don't know the, the rules of the game, but usually the the salute is to the uniform. So therefore if they have been discharged from their duties, I think they do no longer get a salute. But people have this again sense of entitlement that you know if I am in a robe then I should be given two. No, it's not so. And when you give, try as much as you possibly can, because we are here for nothing other than Nibban, exclusively for aspirants of Nibban. That is what we are, this is who we are. Whenever you give, give up, don't give too. When you offer this glass of water, when you offer meals later on today, when you offer that spoonful of rice into the arms bowl, don't give it to the monk. Give up. Then you, have to, you can't ask the question, to whom? Give up to whom? You can't ask that question, can you? There's no giving up to whom. It's just giving up. Because for, it, for, for the mind to attain the state of Nibbana, attachment is, you know, you, you sever attachment, yes, because attachment is the cause of suffering, so the eradication of attachment is the eradication of suffering. Fair enough. You know, it's, it's like this. Just think about it. Two people, they're both holding on to a rope. Right. Now, imagine this rope is tied to their wrists. So, when he tries to walk away, it tugs on the other guy, right? And if he tries to walk away, then it tugs on this guy. So, they're connected, this rope. For this connection to, to, to not exist, for this connection to sever... Do they both have to untie the ropes? 
Hmm? No, just one. Just one. Just one. So if he untied it, then it's no longer tugging on him. This is giving up. It matters not what's happened at the other on the other side. Matters not. You just need to give up on your side. So when you give up, it matters not whether the other side has taken it, let it go, done whatever with it. That is not part of the equation. It, it should not concern you. But you can't immediately come to that way of thinking. For that, you need to understand that there is no one here to let go. There is no one here to let go. I am not a one and they are not a one. Once you understand that, then the giving up has already happened. Because this connection, this is a metaphor, but in real terms, this connection only exists virtually. This is not a real connection. The connection that you have with your family, with your kin, right? This is not, this is not a real connection. This is only a virtual connection. It's an illusion. It's only a mental connection. So in the Buddha Sasana, your understanding of the Buddha Sasana, as you understand the Buddha Sasana, as you develop yourself in the Buddha Sasana, as you progress in the Buddha Sasana, it will matter very little, ladies and gentlemen, what is done to what you have given up. It will matter very little. And also, who's going to use what you've given up? You know, one of the best examples of people giving up and not concerning themselves with what's going to happen next. I think there's only one example. It's what you give up when you go into the toilet. That you give up. I think that's the only example we can really come up with that is universally true. That when you give up, you give up. Everything else you give to. A glass of water you give to. A meal you give to. A smile you give too. That's why if the Swami Nasa doesn't smile back at you, once you've given them an arm, a spoonful of rice, right? now you've given the rice to and expect something back in return. Where's the smile? Where's the thank you? Where's the gratitude? So people question. Then they say, what virtue? What virtue? No virtue. So now our monks, they go on arms round in the Sudhamini so village, right? <clears throat> you may have experienced on time, on occasion, perhaps, you know, there'll be, there'll be occasions where, you know, you try to engage them in conversation. That's fair enough, because if this is a new experience to you, it's a fair, fair enough. But they have been instructed not to engage in conversation, so they don't. Because on, when you go on Pindapatha, we don't engage in conversation. And there's a very good reason for that. Because one thing will always lead to another. That's what conversations are like. You know, conversations, they, they, you know, if you start one up, it's like a wildfire. Yeah? If you start one up, then you have, to, you have to play ball. So before you know it, you know, you've, you've invited them into your house. Can you come and maybe, you know, 
can you come and uh, bless the house and uh, the samnas with the arms pole is going on <laughs> with the father can you please come in and just you know you're just you setting foot into a house is a blessing so the swami nasi sets foot into the house i'm not saying anyone's done it i'm just saying why conversation is is banned when when we go on pindapa this is not a rule we have adopted it's the buddhist discipline and then once you're in the living room the next invitation is oh swami says just just a few steps into the bedroom <laughs> these things can happen and these things have happened not with us not here but it has happened you know that's why on multiple occasions the buddha would have had to tighten the and and make the rules more more strict plenty of times where you know a lot of the code the code of discipline contains rules that were laid down due to events incidents that had happened when the monks had gone on pindapada because out of kindness and compassion they've gone on to do things but then they were misinterpreted misread and people come up with stories and all sorts of things happen i i'm saying how giving to leads to the wrong places now a perfect example was like i think uh, Three or four weeks ago, when we went Colombo doing the Pindapada after a Sunday, so we were stood outside a home, outside someone's house, and um, so there, there was a mother who came to offer something. But then there was a, I think almost a, a lady in her early twenties. She was just in a bath towel. Now imagine if I'd walked into the house, what all I've had, to, I would have had, to, I would have to hear from them. She was just in a bath towel. Now she she probably doesn't even know this. That she probably, you know, of course she didn't expect the Swami Nasa to come on arms. But just imagine, because there was an invitation from the mother, Swami Nasa, please step inside. That they do out of devotion. But just imagine if I had stepped inside, and then she'd walked past, because their houses are like you know, one fifth of this room. So you know, you step. left you're in the washroom you step right you're in the bedroom you step forward you're in the living room and step back you're in the kitchen that's all they have that's all they have because that's all they've given that's why we go and take an opportunity for them to give so that they can give more but you know the, the funny thing is the old islam you know even sometimes when we go to homes like that there are still people who don't like to give to swami nansis just think about the irony there hmm? here's a perfect opportunity to free yourself from you know the uh, what do you call it uh, the, the the plight that you've gotten yourselves into is a perfect opportunity for that you don't even have to go to the temple the temple has come to you this is nibbana on legs right <laughs> it's come to you take away <laughs> but but even then there are some they sometimes they'll smirk at you and just just as they walk past you know, <coughs> they make such remarks some say enormetana and then they go away it, it, it's fine we we've got to you know now you'll say how could they you just don't remember your past you just don't remember the way you used to be long time ago 
That's, that's where they start. That's where everyone starts. Because to them, what is the Buddha Sasana? See, now they're, they're relatively poor people, aren't they? Hmm? There's a lovely saying in Sinhalese. <laughs> so, you know, they, they're poor people and so they, they, they don't want someone to come and take away what little they have. They don't want. They want. Some, they don't want someone coming and take away what they, what little they have, and they don't even smile even in, in return. You don't even get a smile out of us. We we'll say supatveva, nibbanveva, yahapatakmaveva. They're like, yeah, yeah. Show me the yahapat. And the worst thing is, you know, most people think we come on arms expecting money, so then you know they are certain to shut their doors, because what is more precious than money? You know, to a poor person, what is more precious than money? Nothing. That is why they are poor. <laughs> that is why they are poor. They are poor because to them, the most precious thing is money. That's why they are poor. <coughs> to a rich person, everything else is more precious than money. That's why they are rich. Because what is not so precious to you, what do you do with it? Hmm? You give. What is precious to you? You hoard. You gather. You hoard. As soon as you do that, you cut, you, you, you strip, you sever the path to receiving. <clears throat> because that is the channel that is available to receive. Giving starts the receiving process. But when something becomes precious to you, you don't want to give it. So what little you have is all you will have. That is why we try and take that opportunity to them, but it's quite funny. I mean, I'm the one who should be smirking, right? <laughs> to be honest, I, you know, how, I mean, what pity, what a pity they don't understand the opportunity that they've got. You know, he says, yes, he is a monk, you know, obviously they don't know this story. He's come all the way, sometimes we walk for several kilometers, looking for homes that need this. Because, you know, we don't necessarily have to go to, you know, palaces, big homes, you know, big large houses, because they know the art of receiving. I often tell this to a, you know, audience in, in Colombo, because, you know, they're usually, you know, not to stereotype, but, you know, usually well off, they're, they're, they're you know, they have. They don't. It's not. It's not too much of a struggle life for them. That's not to say that it's for everyone. So not making any judgments because sometimes someone could be offended for us thinking that way. But usually they're all right. All right. Okay. So then they. I, I often tell them when I see a big house, when I see a nice luxury house, a nice car, you know, in my mind I go sadhu sadhu. Don't you? I rejoice in that. I like to see people wealthy and rich and affluent with all the means. Because you know what I say sadhu to? The deed that they've done to receive what they have today. Call it mudita, call it whatever you might. But people don't generally do that. Usually people have vice towards them. 
Usually people have all sorts of stories to tell. Murderers. Hmm? Thieves. Must have stolen it from someone. Money launderers. Huh? All black money. This is black money. Thugs. That's what people have to say. See, they can't they can't enjoy they can't enjoy goodness that has happened to the world. Isn't that goodness? If someone has something, isn't that goodness? You don't need to be like that. You know, if you're our our kind of people, if you're our kind of person, you know, if you're sons and daughters of the Buddha and the Buddha Shravakas, you know, we have absolutely nothing. See? He has nothing. He's the one who has nothing. Absolutely, literally nothing. And we are trying to follow in his footsteps. We have nothing. But when we see things, when we see everything, we rejoice in it. That is a rich man's mindset. The poor man's mindset is, they still have nothing. But when they see someone with something, they go, (sighs) a sigh of disgust. Thieves. Jealous. That is jealousy. Thieves. Must be blood money. (laughs) Blood money and black money. Must be drug loads. Hmm? If someone's got a big house, they must be a drug load. (coughs) Yeah? If someone's got a nice car, then must be stolen. Either stolen or maybe bribe. Maybe maybe bribe maybe corrupted. Corrupted people, you know, these people are corrupted. Otherwise, how can they afford something like this? The people's money. That's what they say. The people's money. Poor people's money. Poor people's money. I don't know whether it's poor people's money or rich people's money. I don't know. I frankly don't know. Because I'm not from the audit general. <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, I'm not an auditor to go and find out where they got the money to buy. But what I know is, by hook or by crook, if you've got something, you've gotten it because you've given something. You might have used the wrong means to acquire it this time round. Right? But you can't get what you haven't given. You can't get what you haven't given even if it's temporary. You can't get what you've given. So when they've gotten something, when they've got something, we look at that and go, I'm not not admiring because I don't know the means that they've gone through to acquire it this time around. But what I do know is, whether it was criminal activity or, you know, done something bad or, you know, murder, I don't know. But I I do know something they've given to receive something good. They've given to receive something good. I need all of you to be like that. And I'm sure you are. But I want you to be more and more like that. Have, be someone who can have nothing and rejoice at everything. What a great mindset that is. You know, we can be so small, but our minds can be huge. You know, I'm talking to you about magnificence. This is magnificence. Be magnificent. That's a mindset. It's an attitude. Have nothing. 
if you see a pretty a pretty woman, right? Appreciate it. Right? Women in the house, right? If you still see beauty, right? Now, you don't even necessarily need to see beauty because you know conventionally this is what is beautiful. Right? If you ask the Buddha, Venerable Sir, don't you think that woman is beautiful? The Buddha might say, yes, she is. Because the Buddha has become a Buddha. He doesn't experience beauty, but he knows what beauty is. Just as he knows what tall and short are. He knows what beauty is. He knows what is recognized and identified as beauty. Because that is a convention. He knows that. So, if you've been born with all the right things in the right places, in the right size, in the right quantities, right? that is beauty. So, if you see someone like that, whether or not you are beautiful or not, can't you appreciate that? You can't if you haven't seen the Buddha Sasana. If you see you and if you see them, now you can't appreciate that. Because you feel, ah, I, should have had, I should have gotten it, not them. This is Abhidya. Not Avidya, Abhidya. Pure greed. Sinful. The ability to not rejoice when someone's got something, and then the wishful thinking of so not not just wishful thinking, the thinking that oh they shouldn't have it, I should have it. If if you got news that someone's won the lottery, ladies and gentlemen, you know be over the moon about it, because it's not them or you that should win it. Someone's won it. Getting is what we celebrate, not who, not who got it. We celebrate getting, we celebrate receiving. We celebrate victory, can't we? <clears throat> when you watch a game of cricket, if you can't celebrate every six, every four, every run, and every catch, all in the same game. Every run out. Hmm? If you can't celebrate all of it, you are not enjoying a game of cricket. You can't enjoy a game of cricket. You're enjoying being part of a team. That's what you're enjoying. In fact, you're enjoying separation. We are a separate team to them. So you're not enjoying cricket then. You're not a cricketer. You're a Sri Lankan cricketer or you're an Indian cricketer, or you're a Pakistani cricketer. Hmm? So therefore, cricketer comes second. Sri Lankan comes first. Shame. What a shame. Learn to enjoy cricket. Ah, Swami Nasa gave us permission to go and watch cricket today then. <laughs> enjoy a good game of cricket. In a good game of cricket, who should win? Who should win in a good game of cricket? For it to be a good game of cricket, who should win? Which team should score the most runs? That's the thing, you know. 
if as a ch- if as a kid growing up you know watching cricket your parents taught you to enjoy a good game of cricket you would have learned to enjoy a good game of cricket but usually what happens is and what you know what's happened you know they sat you down and said puta those people in blue they're the they're the lankans those guys in yellow they're the australians them in green they're the pakistanis them in the light blue they're the indians and them in the maroon color they're the zimbabweans we don't mingle may the best team win see that a celebrate separation is what they said so when the ball was up in the air you didn't know whether you had to celebrate or you had to hold your breath to cry <laughs> you didn't know you had to see what would happen when the ball came down if they caught it again depends are you on the offensive team or the defensive team which one you have to wait you you got you don't know you can't enjoy a ball being up in the air whereas if you were not partisan and the ball's up in the air now you can enjoy every moment of it if it's up in the air it could be going for a six it could be going for a catch matters not while it's still up in the air it could be going for a six yeah that's a good six well look at that the power the impetus with which it was hit up into the air brilliant what a brilliant shot and the ball comes down and then there's a there's a player down there he catches the ball and say what a great catch and then they drop the ball <laughs> what a great save what luck let's learn to enjoy a game of cricket i mean no this is the this is the foundation to get to nibbana you need to learn to enjoy a good game of cricket if you can learn to enjoy a good game of cricket you're closer to nibbana than if you are someone who only enjoys when one team wins you know in some places if their if their home team loses they you know, they burn down houses then the players they they're worried about going back home see they don't enjoy cricket or they although some people say cricket it runs in our blood it's not the cricket that runs in their blood separation being being just one team Mm? it's not one game it's one team <coughs> so i want you all to be to be able to enjoy enjoy goodness in this world you know rejoice in it celebrate goodness celebrate goodness be a sudamana sudamanasa this is a pure man you know a, a, a man with a pure heart they can enjoy goodness matters not who it has happened to <coughs> and just imagine your sister right in the last moments of your parents life you know she bequeathed everything she had to your elder sister okay given by will nothing for you all to your elder sister <coughs> now you're wondering what happened what happened there i was the one who looked after my mother 
in her last years, but she gave everything to to my elder sister. She wasn't even here. And besides, she's the one who's got everything. She's got a nice house. She lives in uh, in Canada. Huh? She's got a house here. She's got a house there. But my mother decided to give her everything. And then you get news that she also won the lottery. What do people normally say? Hmm? You know what they say. <laughs> it is those who get that get everything. Hmm? Whereas people like us who deserve, we get nothing. We get nothing. God doesn't have mercy on us. This good Lord, the God that we worship, we pray, we make offerings to, they don't even have mercy on us. But look at this sister. She wasn't even there in my mother's final years. I had to look after her. I had to wash her poo-poo and dress her nappy and do everything for her. And now she was there. She came, she took and she went. (laughs) I have two children. She only has one. I have to provide more. But I got nothing. Let's call that Kattadiya. <laughs> See, now you can't celebrate giving. You can't celebrate. Because you want good things to happen to whom? If good things happen, they have to happen to whom? Me or my people. That's whom good things should happen to. If a bad thing has to happen, who should it happen to? Others and their people. If a good thing has to happen, it should happen to me and my people. Bad things, others and their people. <clears throat> but if you've seen the Sambhadasasana, good things must happen, bad things mustn't happen. That's it. Not to whom, or to who. You know, then you are a man of the world. You know, you belong to everybody. The whole, you belong to the whole world. <coughs> you belong to the whole world, then. You belong to the whole universe. You know, just imagine if 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 the whole world belonged to you, right? If the whole world belonged to you, imagine now. You know, they say you know back in the colonial times, um, they came and they took our riches. Hmm? They came, they took our precious riches, right? And then they they took it to wherever they came from, whoever that day is. <clears throat> we have that story to say because we feel, we feel that they took it from our land. They took it from my country. This is our heritage, our legacy. These are ours and they took it, they stole it. Now they have something that belongs to us. Give it back. You say this because you feel you are, you are, a, you, you know, you are a, a citizen of this country. You feel that this is your, this is your nation. Hmm. Maybe if you feel patriotic about about this country. But what if you felt patriotic about the whole world? Then what? Then who has taken from whom? If you are a man of the world, okay. And they came and took from here and took it there. What's what's moved? From where and to where? <laughs> Nothing.
They, these two uh, hands, they belong to me. They both belong to me. Okay? I have a pen, don't I? Yeah? Now, how about now? Have I lost that pen? Am I poorer than I used to be a moment ago? Am I richer? No. Why is that? Because they both belong to me. But if, what if I'm a left-handed man? In other words, this is my arm, this is my hand, this isn't mine. Now, if someone took this, I'm poor. They took what belongs to me, give it back. Give it back. Now I have to fight. Now we have to battle. We have to battle for victory. See? Give it back. No, no, this is my no, no, give it back. <laughs> Tug of war. <laughs> but if you're a man of the world, <clears throat> now see, if you are, if you are either, if this is your hand, this is your hand, right? If you have, if you only belong to one of these, sometimes you might come to a fair deal. Let's do half and half. That's a fair deal, right? 50-50. Let's meet halfway. That is not, that is not a fair deal. It might be a fair deal conventionally, but in your mind you're going, I just want to wait until he passes away. Or while he looks away. The moment he looks away, I'll just snatch a little bit more. See? Tell me these things don't happen out there. All the time. <clears throat> and when this guy's not watching. No, oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. I didn't see. Sorry. My bad. See how humble. So innocent. Then when he when he leaves, just just to go on a holiday, I'll be back for the weekend. No, I'll be back just after the weekend. Just keep an eye out for my property. Yeah, sure, sure. And when this guy returns, oh, seems smaller than when I left it. No, it's the same thing. I looked after it for you. Never happened. Because they're not a man of the world. <coughs> so small. Their thinking is so small. You know, petty pleasures. People settle for petty pleasures. People settle for petty pleasures. Just to have a little bit more. Can I have a little bit more, please? Just a little bit more. Just a tad bit more. People <laughs> How silly. You know, when you have, when you make a deal, right? Some people, they'll, they'll count it to the last penny. I'm not talking about convention. To the, conventionally, you have to count to the last penny. Please do so. If someone borrows some money from you and they return it, please count it before they leave. Okay, this is life advice. Now let's get back to Nibbana. Because Anya Illa Bupanisa, Anya Nibbana Gami. Right? The path to living a comfortable life in the world is one. The path to Nibbana, which is your internal transformation, your mindset, is another. So conventionally adhere to the norms and customs and standards and whatever you, you might have. So if someone gives you some money, please count it before they leave. Before you walk out of the shop, check your change. Right? That's just general advice. 
But coming back to Nibbana, you know, people will they'll they'll look for you know just just a little bit more because that makes them feel that makes them feel happy. You know, if someone says, "I'm gonna give," just think about how the mind works. Okay, this is to help you. Th- Analyze and think about how the mind works. Let's imagine your mother, before she passes away, she's trying, she's thinking, what should I do with my 10 acres of coconut land? She's got 10 acres that she wants to split between her children. So Akka comes, elder sister. She comes from Canada. Now you're both with your mother, the solicitor's there. And she's going to reveal to you what she's been thinking about over the last few months. You've been prompting her, Mama, Mother, you know, you know, the you probably should do something about the land, you know, we don't want it to you know we don't want it to go to ruins and you know, you probably sort it out, better sort it out before before your last days. She said, Yeah, 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 I'll I'll do it. Ask your sister to come. So she's the sisters come now, the three of them sitting around the table, solicitors on one end. Right, so I've decided how I want to split my property. The elder sister, I'm going to give her... So she's got ten, right? Now, the younger sister is expecting what? At least half. Is that right? At least half, yes. So, five, five, fifty-fifty. <laughs> but that's not fair either because she's the one who's got everything. Yeah, she's the one who's got the house in Canada. She's got the she's she's got the house in in Sri Lanka, whereas we live in a very small house, and I've got two children. I have to I have to look after and feed, but she's only got one, and she's got the means. Her husband is also well connected. He's got a nice job, whereas my husband, you know, his job is going to be plucking those coconuts. <laughs> if we get if we get part of that land, right? So who's the one who should be getting the bigger portion? You you have the answer to this. She has. Now the, the the two daughters. I'm not. Let's let's ignore the elder daughter for a second. The younger daughter already has an answer to this question. In her mind, in her mind, who should get the bigger portion? If not all of it, she should. So the mother says, "I've decided that I want to give you, Chutidwa." Three acres. Yeah. I know, right? Can you believe that? Out of ten? Shocking. And the remaining seven, I don't know, wait. And then I'm going to give five. Because now wait, so we've given three to the younger daughter. So now the elder daughter thinks what? Seven to the elder daughter. How do you think she's feeling right now? The younger daughter. How do you think she's feeling right now? Hmm? The b- <laughs> you know the word, which I shall not utter. That female dog. <laughs> She's come here for my mother's money. She didn't even look after her. I did everything for her. And then and then the mother says, 
I'm going to give uh, two to charity. Oh, that's better then, at least, at least. See what's happening. Now, the elder sister is only going to get five. So, ultimately, the last portion, five for the elder sister, two to charity, three to the younger daughter. Okay? When she said, when the mother said, three for the younger daughter, she was furious. Why? Who was now going to get the bigger portion? The elder sister. How much? Seven. Because initially, what had she planned for the, uh, uh, the elder sister? I mean, the younger sister, what did she think she was going to get? Five. She was going to get five. Yeah, you are you following me? Yeah. Wait, let me try it. Nothing like a good picture of, you know, family feudal wars. This is the younger sister. Now they have to draw the elder sister taller. Yeah, coconuts, coconut trees. Still, even at that age. And the Almost. Almost. Okay. So, in her mind, she was thinking initially, initially she thought, you know, I think I should get all ten. Why? I am the one who looked after my mother. Sisters? So, you better listen to this, Buddha, okay? Hmm? Important lessons for life. So, I should be getting the 10 because I am the one who looked after. She lives in Canada. She's got everything. She's got a house there, house here. Husband is well connected, you know, very prosperous. They have everything going for them, right? So, she should ideally be getting nothing. But I'm a reasonable person. Who's a reasonable person? Always. Always who's a reasonable person? I am the reasonable person. I am, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the holy grail. I'm holy as holy can get. I mean, you know, the Pope should be taking lessons from me. Now, the Dalai Lama should be taking lessons from me. I am the epitome of holiness and kindness and gentleness. That's me. Can you see the halo above my head? <laughs> Let's put one here. Hmm. Right? So, this is the ideal deal, but it's alright. I'm good. So, I think she's, mommy, mommy's going to go five and five. Hmm? I think mummy's going to go five and five because, you know, she's like that. So now, in her mind, how much of the land has she already given up? Not given up. Not given up. Given to? Hmm? To the elder sister? Five. So she's already made that commitment in her mind, right? So, so surely she should be prepared for that. Then the mother says, Churidu? Churidu? You're only going to get three. Out of seven. Out of ten, yes. You're only going to get three. Now she's furious. She's annoyed. She's pretty annoyed because she thinks now the elder sister is going to get seven. Not what she was expecting. 
completely the opposite of what she was expecting. She was fine to settle for five. She was all right. She, she'd made her mind up. She was fine to settle for five. But now it's looking like she's getting the short straw. Right? And the elder sister is going to get the better deal. So the mother says, so you're going to get three and I'm going to give two to charity. I'm going to give two to charity. So now, see, at this point, she didn't, she didn't know what to expect. Right? She would have been very happy to hear this. Sorry, very happy. How do you draw very happy? Is it that way? That looks weird. Very happy to receive that. She was okay about this. At this point, she doesn't know about this yet. How is she feeling? She's feeling terrible about this. Why? I'm going to get three and she's going to get seven. She's going to get seven. And then the mother says, and I'm going to give two to charity. What is the expression I should draw on this? What is the expression I should draw on this? Hmm? She feels happy again. She feels happy again. You know why she feels happy again? Because she's going to get less. She's going to get less than what she thought she was going to get. Initially. In fact, she's back to what she thought they were going to have previously. Right? At this point she thought, I'm going to get five, she's going to get five. Which is what she's going to get now. Which is what she's going to get now. But now the mother has said, I'm not going to give all seven of it to the elder sister. I'm going to give half of, half of, half of that to the charity. Now she's happy about the fact that she's going to get, her competitor is going to get less than what she thought she was going to get. See? Never heard of these things? Not yet? And hopefully you never will. But these things happen all the time. Happen all the time. Why do you think she's happier this time? See, nothing's changed from this to this. She's still got only the three. But she can't rejoice in goodness. She can't rejoice in receiving. She can't rejoice in giving. Because if good things happen, it should happen to me and to my people. Right now she's not feeling very her people about her sister. In fact, now she feels that her sister is her competitor, her rival. That is how she feels right now. Sometimes this might actually split the whole family up. You know what's going to split the family? Her expectation that she was going to get five, right? And then she's going to end up getting three, and the eldest sister is going to get five. She might even wonder, why the two to charity? Give it to me. What has charity done for you? You're talking about the temple, the Swami is in the temple, right? 
Hmm? Those buggers you've been feeding all your life? How many arms have you given them? How many arms givings have you done? Right? Every month you would go taking arms to them. Right? The first portion of whatever you had, you would go and offer to them. What did you get in return? What tamma did you get in return? Nothing. I am the one who was here looking after you. Hmm? I fed you. I cooked for you. I dressed your wounds. I looked after you. I did everything for you. I, did, I ran your errands. I did everything for you. And what did the monk do for you? Nothing. He just took everything you had. And now he's also going to take what I deserve. So now she's going to begin to hate what her mother used to love. What is that? The Sambuddha Sasana. <laughs> what has the Sambuddha Sasana, what wrong has the Sambuddha Sasana done to her? Nothing. But she is going to now have a grudge. See? She is now going to have a grudge because the monks are going to get something that belongs to her. The Sasana is going to get something that belongs to her. That is how she feels. Because in her world, things belong. Yes, there are my things and there are their things. right? And if good things happen, they have to happen to me and my people. If the mother had said, this too I am going to give to your, your dependents, your offspring, that she would, be, she would have been okay with. My mother cares about me and my children and my family. But if the mother says, I am going to give this to my grandchildren, she is going to ask whose. Because that grandchildren could, could be the elder sisters, it could be the younger sisters. But to the grandmother, which is her, they are both the same. Grandchildren. Whose grandchildren are more grandchildren-ish to the mother? Hmm? No, they are both grandchildren, equal. But to them, there is a separation. You know, these are, these are the origins, beginnings of family feuds. Just think about it. You, know, you will have experienced some of this in your lives. Because they have not seen the Samudha Sasana. The mother has seen the Samudha Sasana. That is why throughout her living life, she was very charitable. She wanted to invest. She wanted to invest in, in, in the Sasana. She might have even taken the daughters with her when she went to the temple. That is how she knows that everything she had, she offered to the Sasana. Because she knows what you reap is what you sow. Because she knows in the Sasana you go to give up, not to give to. See, when you give up something, think about this and answer this question. Really think about this. Okay? When you give something up, who should use it? Yes, anyone. Absolutely. Think a little bit more. I'll give you a moment to think. I'll give you some hints. Let's say <coughs> we have a bottle of water here. Okay? We are all thirsty. We are all thirsty. More or less, we are all thirsty. Someone, some, is, some are more thirsty than others. Right? And so we bring a bottle of water. If I said, ladies and gentlemen, I have brought you some water, please come and have it. There is only one cup. There is only one bottle. You will have to get the water into the cup and drink it. How do you decide amongst yourselves who, get to, who gets to go first? No, the Swami Nances are not here. Ignore that. Most thirsty. So the people who deserve it the most. Yeah? 
people who deserve it the most. So when you give up something, in your mind, when you give up something, it should be used up by those who deserve it the most. When you give to someone, it is them who should be using it. Because in your mind, it has to be them. You've already separated. In you know, then you take you you do God's work. You've taken God's job into your hands. God decides who deserves most. But when you play God, you decide who gets it. Because when the water's here, God has already decided who needs it, because that is the one who's most thirsty. By God, I mean nature. Yeah? Vipaka. However you want to look at it. The one who is most thirsty is the one who should use it. Now, you know, a fantastic example of this is now in the sasana. Right? We have we have an order in which we do things. So even if when we go for arms, you know, it's the most senior monk first and so on. You know the drill. There is one exception to this rule. Just one. Just the one exception to this rule. And that is when we are waiting for the washroom. Then it is not in line of seniority. It's who needs it the most. So if ever we are there and there's only one washroom, we ask ourselves. Aishmatan, would you? Do you want to? Are you in, in a greater need? Right? So that is how we do that. But everything else, there's, a, there, there's an order. Most senior to most junior. So if there's a bottle of water here and you have to decide who goes first, you'll have to ask the question, who is most thirsty? That is who God has picked to have the water first. How has God picked them? By making them thirsty. That's how. Because they have the greatest need. So therefore, they are the most deserving. Now then, why do I say that the mother invested, gave up her whatever she had to charity, because when she gave up, she gave up where it was most deserved. I'm going to explain to you why I say so. And this goes, this goes against the notions that most people have, that you know, if something is given, it should be given to the poor, perhaps. If, 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 they, if, they, if you build a house, it should, be, it should be made for the homeless. So that's why people say, why give to the monks? They have it. You should give it, be giving to the poor people. They don't have it. Give it to those who don't have, not to those who already have. I'm going to try show you the, the flaw in that thinking. This is flawed thinking. If you give something, and then, by the way, please listen and absorb all this very intelligently. Okay? I'm not saying don't give to the poor or anything of that sort. Yes? Can I trust you? Hmm? Please don't take this the wrong way. Because if you take it the wrong way, it's only because you've not understood me. There's a caveat. <laughs> okay, if this seems so unreasonable and unfair, it's because you haven't understood what I wanted to say. If you give to a poor person, if you give to a poor person, in his mind, you've given him something to preserve himself. And I don't mean self in that sense, just in a very normal way, just in a very conventional way. You've given him something to, to protect and preserve himself, him 
and his family. Because in his mind, good things should happen to whom? Him and his people. Him and his people. You understand this, though? Absolutely. Him and his people. Now imagine, if you gave something, so this is the poor man, you gave something to a poor man, he's a poor man. Whatever you give him, he's going to use it to provide for him and his family. Let's say, there's uh, the village leader. Okay? He's the village leader. In his village, there are lots of poor people. Okay? Now, who is he going to give to? Him and his people. Yeah? Him and his people. Or rather, his people, if you like. So, who is his people? All of them. Hmm? I'm trying to prove a point to you. We're going one step at a time. So, if you give to this man, he gives to his people. His people are the people he have at home. He has at home. Okay? If you give to this man, he gives to his people. His people are the people who live in his village. Let's go again one step up. This is the province. And there are multiple villages and village leaders. So lots of poor people in lots of villages and lots of village leaders. Okay, now you give to the leader of the province. Who does he give to? His people. His as in not empty, not that his. His. His people, all of them. Okay, now let's go meet the, uh, the king. We've gone to the king. Your Majesty, I've got something to give you. Who does he give to? His people. Because <clears throat> in his kingdom, there are lots of provincial leaders, there are lots of village leaders, clan leaders, right? and there are lots of poor people. So he gives to all of his people. <clears throat> now, what if you go to a man of the world? To someone who believes that all mankind are his people. Every man, woman and child are his people. Now who does he give to? His people. His people. He gives to his people. And his people are not just men, women and children. They are not just humans. Divine beings. In 10,000 world systems. They are all his people. So whatever you give him. Or his ministry. He uses it in the service of his people. That is why 
there is it is it is more worthy it is more worthy oh, that when you give something you think about what is the scope of goodness have i not presented to you a logical argument yeah am i saying that it is because i'm a monk i'm giving you this argument no it's not you don't have to be a monk for that was it not a good thing to give mother teresa Yes, because she had a lot of people. She had a lot of people. But if you had given to maybe if you had if you had a lot and you gave it to just maybe one of the people who are who's under the, 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 the protection of Mother Teresa, they would take it and they would go and give it to their people. Maybe that's just a small family. And what they you see, just think about it. When you when you get something and you use it in the service of your people, whatever is left over, what do you do? Normally, I don't mean you now that you've, you've got an improved thinking. What do you normally do? You save it. You save it for whom? For your people when they need it later. But next door, there are people starving. Yeah, next door there are people starving. In the, in the neighboring village, there are people starving. But if you give to the village leader, if you give something to the village leader, he will spread it between his people and then he will save them in his coffers for when they need it later. But if you give to the king, he will save it in his treasury, in his coffers, for when anyone in his kingdom might need it, because to him, they're all his children. Now once again, think about if you give something to someone who believes that the whole world belongs to them, think of a Sakkriti Raja, who is the ruler of the entire world, an emperor, a wheel-turning monarch. Right? If you would give to them, to whom every citizen is a global citizen, so they don't see Indian citizens and Sri Lankan citizens and Bengali citizens and Australian or Canadian citizens, they just see global citizens. Then what about the Sakradev, who is the King Almighty to 33 world systems, of which the four worlds are just you know one small part. Ign- you know, superstitions maybe fiction maybe just ignore that part and just think about the concept here, because I know some will not be able to comprehend that extent of it, but you know an Arahant is someone to whom. They feel, and Arant is someone who feels that the whole world, you know, they're a man of the world. The whole world belongs to them, and they belong to the whole world. They are a universal being. They belong to the whole universe. So an Arahant doesn't belong to his mother or his father. He doesn't belong to his, who used to be his wife. doesn't belong to his brother or his sister. An Arahant belongs to the whole world. So when you give to an Arahant, he uses it in the service of whom? His people. That is why when you give, it makes sense. I can't advise you, I can perhaps only... Because it would be, you know, some might interpret it in the wrong way. That's why I'm a bit hesitant. Because it's not just you who watch this, there are people who will be watching it online. Right? Because one might feel, if they take this in a very narrow-minded way, ah, so some in one is saying, 
This is why we don't come to the Buddha Sasana. See, again, yet again. <laughs> He's saying, give, give, give and give. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if you want to serve mankind, if you want to serve mankind, you know, when you, when you give for charity, like say if you're interested in treatment for cancer, right, you might give something you have to the cancer trust. Yeah. You do so because you don't have the means to go and do the cancer research. You know, you're not a, you're not a chemist, you're not a, uh, you know, a, a researcher. You're not a doctor, you know, you're not someone who has the, the means and the resources and the knowledge to do it. So you give it to someone who can do it on your behalf. Yeah. And they use what you've given them in the service of the people who you have an interest in serving. But they do it on your behalf. If, say, you want, you want uh, better facilities treatment for patients with Alzheimer's, right? perhaps there's, a, there's an organization that would do that. Maybe you want to do better for people with heart diseases. There's, there'll be an organization that you can, to whom you can go and make a donation. In Britain, it's called the British Heart Foundation. You can go and you can make a donation. So then you don't have to go researching about hearts and how they work and how you can save them. They do it on their behalf, on your behalf. Because you don't have the scope, but you have the will. Now, in the same way, if, there's a, if there are people out there, whoever they might be, men, women, whoever, who are interested in serving all of mankind, as if they're all one, as if they're all one, now, if you want to serve mankind, you can either go do it yourself or you can support them to do it. Yet again, I remind you, this is not an appeal. So please don't be in her mind. <laughs> I haven't simply manipulated you to think anything. That's not, that's not the game here. I'm trying to explain to you a profound concept of why it matters where you give so in other words, really, this is not giving to, this is giving up. Remember I told you about the bottle? When you give up, it matters not who comes and drinks it. If you brought it for those who are thirsty, it doesn't matter whether it's your son or your daughter who gets to have the first go. It's whoever is most thirsty. Right? But when you're giving to, it has to be someone who belongs to you, you or your people. Okay? Then an arahant gives up. Now, this is a very subtle point. A very subtle point. So if you don't get it, just let it go. When an arahant gives up, it doesn't matter to him whether it is used for the right reasons or the wrong reasons. Because he doesn't have an expectation in the giving up. In other words, he's completely given up. That is how he has become the arahant. Whereas, you know, a good person, let's say, uh, you know, a generally good person, a generally good person might give up and they'll expect it to be used in the right way. You know, have you never found yourself giving to, say, a, a beggar on the street, and then you walk past him, but you, you, t you turn around and see what he's doing with it? You might have caught yourself doing this on, on some occasions. You give maybe a, a lunch, you give to the poor, poor man by the street, you walk past, round the corner, and you come back. And you watch him from round the corner. What's he doing with it? Is he going to take it to the shop to sell it for some money so he can feed his gambling habits? Now you start to wonder. See, in that moment, ladies and gentlemen, you've given up the opportunity to engage in merits because now you, you do it with suspicion. Where the mind is sus suspicious, the mind is no longer graceful. It's no longer graceful. You know, grace is out. 
because now you're looking at it with suspicion. You know that is a it is, it is not a it is not a, a virtuous feeling. This this feeling of suspicion. If you give something to someone and you you feel you know might they use it for the right reason? Might they use it for the wrong reason? You might even feel your stomach royal. You you don't feel happy. You don't feel comfortable about it. You can't rejoice in it. So an arhant is someone who's given up with absolutely no expectation. If you use it for the he you know because nothing belongs to him. That's the thing. The whole deal here is not giving everything you have until the, to the, you know, to the point where you have nothing else to give. That's not the deal here. That's not the intention here. It's giving, it's realizing, not giving really, it's realizing that nothing belongs to you in the first place to give. So really what you're giving up is this sense of ownership, not the object. You give to an object. You give an object to someone. You give up the sense of ownership. Then there's no object concerned. Does that make sense to everyone? There's no object concern when we're talking about giving up. What you're giving up is a sense of ownership. If it doesn't belong to you, then what matters? Who's going to use it? How it's going to be used? Who's going to take it? Whether they're going to eat it? Whether they're going to leave it? Who cares? So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sharing these things with you, ladies and gentlemen, because, you know, I know you're all charitable. I know you are. You've, you know, how do I know so? Well, you've given up your Saturday morning, haven't you? Isn't that charity itself? Just the fact that you're happy to give up your Saturday morning, you're happy to give up your Saturday afternoon, a whole day. Some of you then even on a, you know, another poor day falls in the week, you're, you're happy to give that up as well. You know that ultimately, if you walk down this path, you're going to, this sense of self is going to disappear from you. Yeah? In, and when that happens, you know that you are completely going to belong to the whole world, to the whole universe. So, with that ultimatum in mind, with that destination in mind, whatever you do right now, you're giving up, are you not? Do you understand the logic here? Yes, you might say, Swami Nasa, I'm here to attain Nibbana. I'm here to attain my Nibbana. Fair enough. But you know that once you attain Nibbana, it's no longer yours. In other words, you and everything about you belongs to the whole world. So if that is the destination, this is the journey you're on, whether you like it or not, you're giving yourself up. You're giving yourself up. In giving yourself up, you're giving everything to everyone else. See, if, once you become an arahant, right? As you progress on this journey, I'm not. You don't even need to go that far, right? When when you when you start progressing on this journey, you know there'll be things in life, uh, you know, ladies and gentlemen, where you know things that you thought were really part and parcel of your life, things that you couldn't depart from. People could just just come and take it away away from you, and you'll be like, oh, you forgot the plug. <laughs> you'll come to that point. I promise you. Yeah, here's the box that came with it. No, they didn't have a pre-arranged appointment to come and take it from you. You just realized there is, you know, someone's come and walking away with something that belongs to you. Conventionally belongs to you. Again, don't get this wrong. I'm not saying if someone comes to your house and starts walking about with things, you have to call them and say, here's the box. <laughs> that is not what I'm saying. I'm talking about your mindset. Okay, so you better ring the police if that happens. I'm talking about the freedom of mind that you can experience. 
you know, now in the sasana, okay, this is my pen, right? At least it's conventionally it's my pen. If you walked up here, took this pen and said, Swaminatha, from here, it's on, from here on it's my pen, you know, I don't have the right to claim it back from you. That is how pure the sasana is. If you took this from me, when I tell you this is mine, if you took it from me, I don't have the right to claim it back from you. I can't say, no, give it back. Because if I do that, I'm committing a cardinal sin. A, a parajika offense. Because once you think this is yours, I can't take it back. <laughs> I can ask for it. Sir, I think you're mistaken. I think this pen belongs to the monastery. Could you kindly have a check whether this is the pen that you brought with you? No, 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 this is my pen. If you say so. Now you might wonder then, what if someone comes and claims that this monastery belongs to them? Hmm? Then where will we go and listen to the Dhamma? Where are we going to go come and do a meditation? <laughs> What's going to happen to the Dhamma hall? Yes, that's why it all belongs to the Punyabhar. <laughs> See? doesn't belong to us. Nothing belongs to us. It all belongs to the trust. In the trust, there are no higher ordained monks. It's all run by lay devotees. So they can go and claim whatever belongs to the sasana. Nothing belongs to us. The Swami Nuhasis are always safe. All cleverly planned out. You know, Guru Hanur is at the helm of the ship, right? Yes, so he's a mastermind. Genius. So we don't have to, we, we, are not, we are never in any fear. If someone comes and says, take this, we, I, I want this, I say, talk to Harshmahanta. <laughs> Nothing belongs to us. So anyhow, the point is, I, what we give up is our sense of ownership. And to, for that to be able, for that to be able to be done, yeah, to be able to do that, we work on ourselves because this sense of ownership is is purely based on a sense of self. Without the sense of self, without I, how can there be things that belong to me? Hmm? If there is no me, then how can there be things that belong to me? So when there is no me, then I belong to the greater to the greater universe. I belong to the bigger picture. I'm part of the the bigger thing, not a separate entity. So I, I, I appeal to you, I urge you, whenever you see goodness happen in the world, rejoice in it. Get into a habit of doing that. Now when we go out on Sundays, Sunday mornings, you know, we walk, we dr- not walk, we driven past, uh, you know, some of the really well-built <coughs> parts of the town and the cities. And then there are, you know, rising towers and some houses, you know, the size of palaces. Palatial magnitude, those those buildings. You know, I look at them and some really grand, luxurious cars in them. I'm honestly happy to see all that. Now, Sometimes, you know, some people think, <laughs> sometimes when people listen to sermons, right, from monks, nuns, whoever, like Buddha Putras, right, when they t- start talking about the 
the suffering that comes with ownership. You know, pe- some people even think that they they're doing so because you know, out of spite. Like I'll say, you know, why do you own that big car? Yeah, how much suffering there is. This big house that you have, you know, three stories, twenty bedrooms, sixteen bathrooms. You know, look at all the effort that you have to put through. You have to go through and put yourself through. Like, why do you have to suffer so much? Right? Think about all the suffering that comes from it. You know, some people think, <laughs> you know, it's like the grape that cried sour grapes. <laughs> like the uh, what? The fox. Like the fox that looked at the grapes and said, "No, can't reach it. It's sour." <laughs> some people think that when we talk about things like that, that we say so out of spite, out of vengeance. What we can't have, you know, we we speak in spite. That is not so. That is not true. What I rejoice in is not the size of the house, because actually I do have pity for the gentleman who has to look after it. I do have pity for the lady who, or lady of the house who has to... <laughs> who has to walk around the house and sweep it and clean it and remove the cobwebs and all that. I do have pity. But what I do enjoy and rejoice in are the merits that they would have done to receive something like that. That you can't deny. Can you? You can't deny that. So let's let's have that mindset. When you see anything good in this world, right, don't think about to whom the good has come. Because that is Ayoniso Manasikara. Wrong mindset. It only happens when we are in ignorance. Come back to wisdom. And then you just see the goodness that has happened. Good has been given, therefore good has been received. If someone says, hey, I, I got a chance to go abroad. Right? Yes, you can have sympathy, or rather, I suppose sympathy towards them and say, you know, you're going somewhere for material gains, perhaps wouldn't you consider maybe coming along with us, spending a week at the monastery, maybe, you know, you might actually learn something, that there's something more you can achieve from life, you might interest them in something like that. But, if they are, if they're not ready to listen to you, and they want to go, you know, be happy for them. Rejoice. I mean, it's an opportunity for you to rejoice, earn some merits out of it. But that's not why you do it. Not just because you get some merits out of it, but, you know, you're Actually, you're really gracefully happy about it. You know, you're happy about it. You're happy about goodness that happens, not to anybody. You're just happy about goodness. So if your enemy, or who used to be an enemy at school, maybe someone who you really didn't like at school, you know, they've had a windfall. Right? Be happy about it. Rejoice in it. Be glad for them. Be glad for any good that happens. If someone discovers something, you know, say you're working out a problem, you know, as children here, when you're at school, right, you've got a math problem, so does your classmate, you know, you're working out, you're both working out, and they work out the solution to it before you do. What should you do? Feel jealous? Then rejoice. Be happy. It's difficult to do if what you see are individuals. I didn't get the answer, she got it. When you start seeing the world in this way, it's very difficult to be happy about it. 
Very difficult to be altruistic. It's very difficult. You get stuck. You, you can only go, you know, you can only go as far as your limit is going to be the remit of what you have. If someone's got something that you don't have, at that point, you break down. But people can have as much as you have, maybe just a little bit less than that, and you're happy. This is this is a vile mind. Identify them if you if you have even the, the the you know the slightest tinge of it in your mind somewhere you know lurking in some deep dark corner. Identify it and work at it. Get it out. It's like a poison. It'll sting you forever. And if I can, if I've got this much, if I've got this much, for as long as what you're going to get is only this much, I'm all right with that. It's fine. You can have it. It's fine because I still have more than you. Yeah. But the moment you seem to have a little bit more than me, now we have a problem. So you you don't feel like this about your subordinates. Maybe at the workplace, right? You you talk you talk to them. You know you're happy that they get a promotion all the way until. They come to your point, and then it's, if it seems like they're going to surpass you, at that point, you can't rejoice in that. If you have this mindset, the mindset of entities, I and they. If good happens, it has to happen to me and my people. If bad happens, it can happen to somebody else and their people, I don't mind. But good should only happen to me and my people. When me and my people exist, you will always suffer. You won't be able to rejoice in the goodness. And because you can't rejoice in goodness, goodness never comes to you. You know, good things come to those who rejoice in it. Simple fact of life. Good things come to those who rejoice in it. So whenever you see good, rejoice in it. If you want it, rejoice in it. You know, because when you rejoice in it, you absorb it. That's what happens. Your mind absorbs it. Your mind embraces it. When you rejoice in something, your mind embraces it. It gives it a warm, you know, nice warm cuddle. Yeah, that's nice. That's very nice. It's very nice. How nice. So now it has become part of you. And then like attracts like. So when your mind starts to resonate, you know, at that so-called frequency, there are no frequencies, I'm just saying, this is just <laughs> an analogy. Right? When your mind starts to resonate at the same goodness, Right? And now that kind of goodness starts to attract you. Just think about this. When you've done something really nice and you go and talk to someone and say, Hey, Machang, you know I did something like this and it really worked out in my favor. Right? And I, I really worked out, you know, got the deal, got a bonus, uh, it was a really good investment. And if they're really happy, can't you tell? If they're really happy about it and they, and they smile and they, they, they give you a pat on the back and go, Wow, fantastic, man. How did you manage to do that? Right? Next time something happens, who do you want to go and share it? The same person. See, now they ask you, how did you do it? So, are you hesitant to share with them if they rejoice in what you've done? No, you tell them everything. You tell them how you did it, how you went about it. You know, you tell them all the secrets. Because they're, they're happy for you. But if someone says, oh really? Oh, well, for people like you, it should always work out, shouldn't it? Thieves. Or if they're not happy about it, not not so not as much you ex- as much as you expect. You know, you you you've achieved something big, something huge, and you go and tell them, you know, I managed to do this, 
And then they go, oh, really? Okay. What's, what, what else? Do you feel like sharing with them how you achieved it? Do you feel like sharing with them how you overcame the obstacles and how you faced the challenges? Do you feel like sharing with them? Absolutely not. So when they come across those obstacles, when they have those challenges, if at some point they also want to achieve the same, same ideals, they've missed a lesson. They've missed an opportunity to learn it from you. You were willing to share it with them for free. Now they've got to make the mistakes and learn it. But because they were able to, the, the previous people, because they were able to resonate, they were able to rejoice in what you had to say, you gave them the lessons for free. And then they might even ask you, hey, I'm really happy for you. You know, I also want to try and do something like that. Do you mind helping me? What might you say? Absolutely, man. Come on, let's work on this together. Two heads are better than one. Let's work on this together and let's, let's double this. Let's triple this. Let's work together and, you know, achieve bigger, better. So you see, if you can't rejoice in someone's good, so because it's not someone's good, if you can't rejoice in goodness, you, you know, you're always going to have to earn things the hard way in life. Life is not going to be kind to you because you're not kind to life. So life is not going to be kind to you. If you're not kind to the goodness, then goodness is not going to be kind to you. You've got to give before you get. There's no other way. <laughs> when God does his good work, you should be able to look upon that and go, wow, look at that. Incredible. Just look at that. How much good has happened? And then that good will soon come to you. But when you see good happen and you go, hmm, just to them, not to us. Never to us. Always to them. Trust me, it will never come to you. It will always be like that. It will always be like that. So you can keep on saying that story. Because you know what you like? Saying that story. Because you always like to, like to bicker about it, you can always keep on saying that. The moaners can always keep on moaning. The complainers can keep on complaining. The whingers can keep on whinging. But if you learn to celebrate, regardless of who the good has come to, if you learn to celebrate, then you can be part of that celebration. And very soon you will be invited to the party. Trust me, you will. When you see a Swami Nuhanse, you know, a monk, a nun, an anagarika, anagarika right? rejoice in that. Don't ever let you, may, you know, let, don't ever be left feeling, oh, they could do it, we can't. Because they're young, we are old. Hmm? Because we have children, they don't. Because they live nearby, really far. Because they're in Sri Lanka, we're in Canada. Don't ever be like that. Then you will always be like that. Rejoice. When you see a young man, youthful, right? rejoice in that. Even if you are old and weak and feeble now, rejoice in that. Be happy. Not be happy for them, just be happy. I'm not talking about being happy for them, I'm saying about being happy. When, you're, when, you, when your child comes home and says, 
I'm a, I got my results for the exam. Um, I didn't get the marks I expected. But my friend, uh, Yasit, he got, he got really, really good results. Oh, great. But aren't you happy? Aren't you happy for him? You know, how great. Yeah, he was not very good at class, but you know, I think he's been working really hard and now he's managed to, uh, he's managed to overcome some of those, those problems that he had and he had problems at home, but now he's performing really well in, sc- in school. Wow. Isn't that great? Just the fact that that has been done? Rejoice in that. By the way, let's wrap up a gift. I want you to go and give it to him when you get back to school tomorrow. Come on. What a mother that is. Huh? If, you, if you, as a mother, can give your child a gift to go and give to the guy who came first in class. That's the mother to every child, isn't it? And what does your child learn in doing that? That goodness has to be celebrated. It doesn't matter who it comes to. Very soon they'll be invited to the party. But what do people generally do? Oh, so he came first in class. He must be teacher's favorite then. He must be teacher's pet. Go find out what he does with the teacher. Next time when teacher comes to the class, you go put the bottle. You go give her the, the chalk. Hmm? You go and worship her first. Yuck. Yuck, yuck, yuck and yuck. You're never going to be invited to the party. That is, that is how people typically are, because they don't have that great mindset. They can't think beyond, you know, their petty pleasures. Petty pleasures. Don't settle for petty pleasures. Because you're, you're more than that. You're more than that. You're all more than that. You know, he's more than that. <laughs> you know, if we are all walking his path, the path that he laid down for us, if this is the, this is the symbol that we aspire to, you know, if, if his virtue is the insignia that we want to wear on our crowns, then let's just, let's aspire to be, to be like him. He was happy for all because he was a man of the world. He belonged to everyone and everyone belonged to him. He didn't come into this world for the Buddhists. No. In fact, who did he preach, who did he preach his first sermon to? Buddhists? Who are Kondanyavapabadi Mahanamanasaji? Buddhists? No. So the Buddha didn't preach sermons to the Buddhists. In fact, most of the sermons he preached, he preached to non-Buddhists. Especially the first part of his life. He went from town to town, village to village, on foot, preaching to whom? Buddhists? Non-Buddhists. Because he was not in the, make, in the business of making Buddhists out of non-Buddhists. He didn't see Buddhists and non-Buddhists. He saw minds that suffer and minds that can be freed from suffering. And he taught them how to. That's all he did. Because he was a man of the world. He came here for all of us. Just as much as Jesus did not come into this world for the Christians, and the Prophet did not come here for the Muslims, they came here for all of us. Because they were people of the world. 
you know, they could embrace and encapsulate and capture every every living soul in this world in their in their heart. Hmm? I'm certain Jesus could look at a Christian and a non-Christian. He could look at Judas, and look he could look at his most faithful apostle, and feel the same way about him. Both. I'm certain of that. Because they were men of the world. They did not segregate. They united. You know, th- in fact, thanks to people like Jesus and, you know, and so on, today there are at least people who say, you know, we are all Christians. At least in that way they're united. <laughs> at least in that way they're united. Yes, there are those then who use that to, to divide, but at least in that way they're united. Because we all have the same leader, spiritual leader. But the truth is, you know, from, from time to time they all come and say, you know, we are all one, we are all one. Because they talk about the truths, the truths that, that unite us all, the truths that are universal for everyone. You know, they, they, they teach to the extent that they have understood, to the extent to which they have been able to realize the truths, to that extent they teach. You know, I can only share with you how much, as far as I have understood. So I'm never going to be able to teach to you as, as, as the Buddha did, or the great Hildasari Buddha did. Never going to be able to do that. Because I, my intelligence, my wisdom does not extend that far, and it never will. But you don't need to go that far. You know, if the Christians did the things that Jesus asked them to do, this world would be a much better place than it is today. If the Muslims did what the Holy Prophets asked them to do, advised them to do, then the world would be a much better place, just as much as if all the Buddhists did what the Buddha asked them to do, advised them to do, this world would be a much better place. But that's not what people are doing. That's the problem. So, I want you all to be able to rejoice. Rejoice in goodness. Right? See a young person, rejoice in youth. See how much youth they have and with that youth what all they can do, what goodness they can do. Rejoice in that. Because if you might have a backache, you're, you're probably old now. You, you, you might, your, your knees are starting to give. Right? Perhaps you, you struggle to get yourself up in the morning because you're old. Look at someone who's still youthful and go, well, sad, sad. At least they don't have to have, suffer the same as I do. When you're hungry, look at someone who's had a full meal. They've had such a full meal, they start burping. <laughs> you know, when they say burp, you go sadhu sadhu. <laughs> They've had a hearty meal. They're delighted with their meal. Rejoice in that. Be deserving of an invitation to the party. When someone has, you know, when someone gets out of a car and you get off your bike, rejoice. If you see someone getting off a car, you have to take the bus. Rejoice. Rejoice. Be happy. Not for them, just be happy for goodness. If you want to just be a good man, then be happy for good. For, you know, good happening to good people. I'm, t- I'm talking about something way beyond that. I'm talking about transcending that. I'm talking about a, non, a dimensionless world where yeah, there are no men, women and children. What there, what there is is goodness. Not goodness, to, not goodness to whom? Just goodness. Just goodness. You know, even if there comes a day where we, we starve because there's nothing to eat, but we get news 
that there's a monastery or a temple or a church or a mosque or a kovil somewhere on the far end of the country, on the land, right? And they've got everything. If we hear that you've all left us, if we get to learn that all our devotees have left us and then now they've gone elsewhere, right? And they're providing for the monks and the nuns and the upasakas and upasikas and wherever else. You know what we do? We say, sadhu, sadhu. Wholeheartedly. Wholeheartedly. Because what matters is, good is happening. Who cares to whom? Because there is no whom to care about. <laughs> Wholeheartedly we rejoice in that. So do good. Don't worry about who makes use of it, who takes it, who leaves it, who uses it. That's not your concern. If you see a who, kill them. Hmm? What should you do when you see the Buddha? Kill him. Kill them. And do good. If you are not fortunate enough to be with your sick mother, right, and your brother is looking after her, rejoice. Rejoice. You know, to regret is one, to rejoice is another. Don't regret when you can rejoice. Regression, re, you know, regretting is not a positive emotion. I, I don't subscribe to regretting. I don't believe regretting is something that is that you know people like us are supposed to do. By us, I mean disciples of the Buddha. Regret is not for us. Rejoicing is for us. Do what you can, and then what you cannot do, don't regret. Rejoice in someone else doing it. Be happy that it is done. The good is done. What matters? Who does it? When you, when you drive past a hospital, perhaps, maybe you're going to see a patient in the hospital, right, in a ward, right? As you walk past the other, other beds, right, and they're receiving treatment, maybe there are nurses. You know, just think about it. Typically what people do is, they go and say, when did the nurse come to see my father? Nurse, when are you going to come and see my father? We are really sorry, sir, we have, you know, so many patients to look at. Yeah, but what about my father? Who's going to look at my father? Why don't you treat my father? What, do you think they're just sat there dwindling their thumbs, doing nothing, looking up at the sky? No, they're treating patients. Can't you rejoice in that? They're treating patients. Patients are being treated. Let's rejoice in that. Tell your father to do the same. If all he did was that, he would, he would feel better. And he'd, be, he'd recover sooner rather than later. Tell him, Tati, see, see how, how hard these nurses are working, these doctors are working. Hmm? Look at all the, all the good work they're doing. Running around, you know, and just, you know, move, running from bed to bed, you know, feeding them, washing them, giving them their medication. They'll come to us when, when they can. But let's rejoice in all the good work they're doing. Let's rejoice in that. If you're at the restaurant, right, and the waiter's taking their time to come to you, but you can see them going from table to table, why can't you look at that and rejoice in that? Hmm? What do people typically do? Waiter! Is that why you're called a waiter? Because I have to wait? How long have you been waiting for our meal? Hmm? What's, what is this service? 
I'm paying full price. Just as much as they are. How come they get served and we don't? That's why you don't get served. <laughs> You're answering your own question. You're so, you're so blind, you're so, you're so dumb. I don't mean you. I mean, if you're in that situation, you're so blind, you're so deaf, you're so dumb, you don't realize you're speaking out loud the answer to your own question. That is why you're not getting served, because you don't deserve service. Service is deserved by those who rejoice in service. So look at the service, rejoice in it. Look at how the waiters are running around, you know, doing the best they can. Running from table to table, you know, carrying, what, 300 plates in their two hands. <laughs> huh? Rejoice in that. And one says tea, the other says milk tea, the other says plain tea. And they say, just a glass of water, I asked for tea, why have you brought me seven up? I don't want this. Go back and get me my meal, please. Get me my order. This is not, it's too cold. I've got a hair in this, I've got a frog in this. Take it back and bring me what I ordered. We need to learn to rejoice. Don't care who to whom, just rejoice. Teach our children to rejoice. Let them rejoice. doesn't matter who comes first in class. Be happy. When the first prize gets offered, clap wholeheartedly. Clap it like you mean it. Don't clap for the... Have to clap. No. Don't clap like that. Clap wholeheartedly. Applaud. If you can, say clap and say sadhu, 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 sadhu. <laughs> Rejoice in it. If you are stood in a queue, right, and the last ticket is bought by the person in front of you, you missed it. Rejoice. You know, just before you leave, don't complain. Say well done to the person in front of you. Wow, well, you are a lucky man. How fortunate you are. Enjoy the film, sir and walk away. That's the kind of people we ought to be because we are sons and daughters of the greatest man that has ever lived. That's how we should be. Rejoice about all the people who has a seat on the bus when you have to stand. Rejoice. And it matters not who goodness has happened to. Because the moment you think about who goodness has happened to, you are not rejoicing in Nibbana. You are blind to Nibbana at that point. Because you are asking the wrong question. Who? To whom? Wrong questions. They are invalid. Invalid questions. In the case of Nibbana. I'm giving you example after example. If you're driving to the car park, you know, last parking slot. I don't, <laughs> don't press the metal. <laughs> don't press on the metal trying to get to the car park before the other guy pulls in. If he drives in, pulls up, and he said, well done. Well done, mate. Well done. Good day. Just say that. Because he'll be, he'll be giving you the stare. He knows what's going to come next. When you put your hand up, he's probably thinking you're going to bend the, 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 the four of them now. 
No, just give us a look. Well done. So happy for you. Hmm? Salute the goodness. Because goodness has happened to this world. Should it happen to you? Must it happen to you and only you and your people? Yes, it has happened to your people. Can't you see? It's happened to your people. If you are a man of the world, it has happened to your people. But if you are a small man, a very small man, a petty man, right? then you can't rejoice in that. Be big in heart. Embrace the whole world. That's how all saints, all the saints that have ever come and gone, you know, that is how they achieved, they, they attained sainthood. They were a blessing to all mankind. For that, understand the Dhamma. I always say, the Dhamma is a path to an end. That end is the end that I just described to you, that I explained to you. That is the end. The end where you are a man of the world. Right? The end where you see everyone as, everyone the same. Where every child is, 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 good, is as good as your child. Where it matters not who gets the good, as long as the good is gotten. It matters not who gets it. Then you have transcended the, 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 the temporal issues of who and the whom. You, you've transcended that. You've gone from the worldly to the out of this world. That's where we need to be. Become universal. That is the end that this Dhamma should take you. When we talk about Anicca, Dukkha and Anatta and Paricca, Samuppada, right? And how the whole thing hangs together and manifestations, you know, all these big words, bold words, grand words, you know, none of these will matter if that end that we just talked about does not happen within you. Like I said, this is the transformation that has to happen. You are the evidence that the, that the Dhamma works. You ought to be. You have to be. You should be. If the Dhamma is not working for you, you are not working the Dhamma. Did you get that? If the Dhamma is not working for you, you are not working the Dhamma. You are working something else. So start working the Dhamma and then the Dhamma will start working for you. Right, that's all you get for one meal. Ah. Panchani Sansa Pinkham. So we know... You all know about the Dakinayo. Almsgiving that we have at the monastery every, almost every two weeks, one every Poya day, and then one every other Saturday. So I have an announcement to make. The Panchani Sansa Pinkhamer, which is scheduled to be held on Saturday, the 19th of August, will be organized by the joint participation of the Arama-based English Sermon Group, that is you lot, and the Sunday Dhamma Talk Group, which is them lot. And a separate WhatsApp group has been set up. It's called the Panchani Sansa Mahapuja Group, and it has been created to share the relevant information with all the participants of these two groups as well, as other groups attending the Arama wishing to participate in this meritorious event. So I think the organizers wanted me to convey the message to you, so I have done. For any of you who, I think most of you, you, you all know about this, 
is what we do at the monastery, but there will be those listening to us, watching this online. If you don't know what the Panchani Sansa Mahapinkama or this almsgiving that we do at the monastery, just go on our YouTube channel. I think there are some videos where you can watch what the proceedings are of the day. And you can also join us online every Poya day. There's an online uh, stream. But to uh, get the most out of it, we invite you to come and witness it, take part in it, rejoice in it. Rejoice the goodness that is done. Rejoice in the goodness. Come and see all the great work, all the good work, all the charity that goes on, all the generosity, the kindness, the gentleness, the humbleness, all of that. That is shared, that is in abundance. That starts to overflow. And this this whole place, you know, there's a sense of, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a nice vibe on on a, on a Panchani Sansa day. It's just such a such a strong way. You can almost feel it in the air. I don't know about you, but I can I can I can feel it in the air. I can almost breathe it. I can smell it. Hmm. It's just there. So we invite we invite all of you to come and come and engage in it, rejoice in it. You may or may not have the chance to offer something, but you don't have to. Because who should offer to whom? No question. Just rejoice. Come and witness. And especially if you are coming for the first time, then we will, you will be receiving the best treatment that we can give you. Because we always let go. We give up so that those who deserve can make use of it. Because you are also our people. You don't have to be a Buddhist to come along. We don't know who a Buddhist is, to be honest. I don't know who a Buddhist is now anymore. You don't have to be of a particular religion, race, culture, creed. It right? doesn't matter what nationality, what language you speak. Who cares? Those are the things that people used to divide ourselves. But we are all one. Because we are men and women of the world. So we invite all global citizens. Come and join us. Witness it. Embrace it. Enjoy it. Experience it. And rejoice in it. So that will be taking place. And so how does one... Join this group. Uh, should they speak to someone? There's a group, but how does one join? Okay. All right. You have merged them. Okay. Okay. Sure. So if someone's listening to this online and they're not a member of this group, what should they do? Contact the monastery? All right. Okay. So the poster will, maybe we can put it on the, on the YouTube description or whatever. Right. All right. Let's do a merit transfer <coughs> and bring today's sermon to a close. First and foremost then, let us all take a moment to remind ourselves how incredibly fortunate we are to be in receipt of the Lord Buddha's teaching and with immense gratitude towards the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis, upasikas and upasikas, let us transfer these merits to those who have protected and preserved the sublime teachings of the Buddha in the form of the Tripitaka and passed it down through the generations of the noble lineage, which is today available to us today to study, understand and comprehend the Dhamma. Let us also transfer the merits we have acquired to all members of the Mahasangha present throughout the world, including the chief prelates of all of the chapters who have dedicated their lives to the noble path and have committed themselves towards the betterment of all sentient beings. Let us not forget that amongst them are the monks and nuns resident in your local temples and nunneries who have always been by your side through thick and thin, come rain or shine. Let us take a moment to transfer these minutes to our teacher, Guru Swami Nuhanse, as well as all the monks visiting at the monastery, 
and the Anagarika and Anagarika communities attached to the monastery. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits and express our gratitude to those who make great efforts to disseminate the teachings of the Buddha. Be that by translating these talks, sharing them out with others, or inviting others to join them, and may, by the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, they redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits that we have acquired to our devotees and friends of the monastery, who, for the sake of merits, to help them attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Continue to sustain the Mahasangha. This includes everyone from those of you who have contributed to the construction of the monastery and to those who provide the Mahasangha with shelter, arms, robes and medicines, as well as those who have passed on their know-how and continue to extend their well-wishes. May by the power of these merits, they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer this message to our mothers and fathers, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, uncles, aunts, cousins, nephews, nieces, our grandparents, our elders, our friends and our acquaintances, employers and employees, and to all those who have helped us, supported us and assisted us in any way, shape or form available and possible to them. By the power of these merits, may they be healed of any physical and mental ailments and overcome any obstacles to their spiritual progress. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits to the Devas and Brahmas, spirits and demons, primarily the Sakradeva, as well as all the numerous gods and deities who are committed to protecting and fulfilling the Samudasasana. May by the power of these merits they prosper in divine power and wisdom. Let us also remind ourselves the good work done by the guardian deities who keep a watchful eye over us. May they also rejoice in the merits that we have acquired today. And may by the power of these merits they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sad, sad, sad. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits to our ancestors, our loved ones who have passed away. To all those who have been friends and family to us and acquaintances in this infinitely long journey of samsara, let us pass on these merits to them. To those who have helped us, supported us and assisted us in any way, shape or form, may they also rejoice in all these merits. Let us also transfer merits to the members of the armed forces as well as the police force who have sacrificed their lives to protect the peace and harmony of our nation. And may all those who have lost their lives in the war be their friend or foe rejoice in these merits we have acquired today. Let us transfer merits to those who have lost their lives in natural calamities such as tsunamis and earthquakes, landslides, pandemics, forest fires, blizzards and various other natural disasters. May by the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, they free themselves from those plains, be born in the blissful plains, may they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. And finally, let us all resolve that may by the power and blessings of all the merits we have acquired throughout the day, we be able to witness the advent of many hundreds of thousands of Arahants on this blessed land. And finally, by the power of these maids, may you and I and everyone who's helped make this program a success become an Arahatan Muhanse, an Arahatteranin Muhanse in this very life itself and in the era of the Gautama Supreme Buddha himself. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. May the blessings of the Noble Triple Gem be with you all. And the members of the Mahasangha will now transfer their blessings to you. <coughs> Raga Ginnidatnva Desha Ginnidatnva Moha Ginnidatnva 
निबान परम सुखयन सुखित तार निबान परम सुखयन सुखित तार ममदस्यलुलोक सत्मयो निबान परम सुखयन सुखित तार निबान परम सुखयन सुखित तार निबान परम सुखयन सुखित तार राग गिनी निवेवा द्वेश गिनी निवेवा मोह गिनी निवेवा निवन सब निवान सब लबे वा निवान सब लबे वा तुन रान गे सुविशिया नंत महागुना बेलेन सिरुलोक सिरु सत्योम निबान